Welcome, welcome, welcome to Rapid Reviews Radio Podcast Episode 140. I hope 140. Pete, am I correct? Is that 140? Yep. Okay, good. <laughs> it, it only tell you 30 seconds ago. I know, but you know things, they don't stay in the brain. Uh, even though I, I wrote, wrote it down and it's right in front of me and I still have to ask. <laughs> but I'm your co-host, Kylie Wilde, and I'm joined by my ever-present co-host, Pete Beckett. Hello. Hello. Um, and today we have two very, very special guests today, and I don't say that lightly. This is so cool. This topic is, well, I'm not going to say the topic is cool. It's very... It needs in-depth processing, uh, but it is a hot topic to talk about. Um, we have our we have a returning guest, Daniel Lindholm. Want to say hi? Uh, good morning, everyone. Ohayou gozaimasu. <laughs> As you can see, Daniel has graciously joined us uh, from the other side of the world, where it is 5 a.m., so we thank him so much for being here. Um, and he has been here before. Go check out that episode, uh, because that gives the kind of background of who he is, where he's from, and he's just a really cool guy. Uh, but we're joined by a new guest that we're very excited to have as well, uh, TJ Martin, who is a composer and sound designer for Boba Studios. Um, hello, TJ. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We're very happy, very excited to have you here um, as our first time guest. Um, but uh, what I like to do generally is when I open the show, I go around, check in with everyone, see how their week's been, just a word or two. It kind of gets everyone kind of loosey-goosey in the mood for a really great show, and uh, I get our audience all ready. So, uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. How has your week been? Oh, well, uh, I've been working from home for the last two or three weeks. Uh, sure, I really would like to be in the studio by right now. Um, there are some issues happening there. So, I mean, that's why I love being portable with my little new <laughs> MacBook Pro here. Uh, oh. But then I also enjoy watching some new movies. Uh, oh. Actually, I watched a Weird Al Jankovic's oh. biopic. <laughs> is it good? So, I want to watch it. I want to watch it. Is it, it good? It is fantastic. Daniel Radcliffe, yes, blows my mind uh <laughs> yeah it's one of the best things i've ever seen i've never laughed so much in my oh, life that's okay so good. So, good. Uh, so good so i highly recommend that i'll be oh, going during the week then at some point and, and then on the gaming gaming side uh, i've been uh, dealing with a uh, fight night express oh. and the seafood oh, oh okay nice. okay yeah how's that is that as hard as everyone says it is is it it oh boy, great. yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's beautiful, but yes, people say it's a really short game, but it's just like Fight Night Express that you really had to grind and mm -hmm. redo mm -hmm. levels to get better and better. And, I like uh, that. And yeah. I mean, it, it's a beautiful looking game, and, and I'm playing mm -hmm. it on the Switch. Wow. Oh right. Is, some people have said the Switch version may not be as good, but I think it it's just amazing what it can do and i'm on a yeah. switch light so oh right um, beautiful graphics beautiful animation great sound and fight night express is just awesome yeah. that's really cool i'm locking my inner john wick so. <laughs> very good so, oh, that's, 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 that's basically what my uh, week has been so far that's fabulous that sounds great uh tj what about you up to any games movies anything new <laughs> I mean, I've been watching Andor, and I've been playing uh, Tales of Arise, which I've been oh, liking yeah. a lot. I've heard um, good things about Tales of Arise. It, the gameplay is so much fun, and the music, oh my god. 
<laughs> like, I mean, like any JRPG, right? It's just like you, you oh. turn on the game and it's like, oh, heaven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh. Love but otherwise, just been a busy week juggling a whole bunch of things. My studio's had a bunch of events this week showing off our uh, puzzle and adventure game, uh, Squirrely Roo Rabbit, and it's just been nice. it's just been a great week. Amazing. That is very good to hear. I love it. I love it. And also, side note, yes, please go watch Andor. It's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> so that, okay. that last episode, I'm like, oh my god. Okay, so full it's disclosure, really I had a few episodes downloaded, ready to watch, and didn't oh, even watch no. them to be yeah. fair. <laughs> But I'm, I'm getting, like, I've been told by so many people to watch it, and I'm, like, anti-Star yeah. Wars at the moment, so it might be enough to crack my shell to actually go and watch it. I Like like we said the other day, Pete, it's the most not-Star Wars, Star Wars show. It's okay. so good. So cool. Uh, All right, well, I have to give myself a dive into that one. It's yeah. really good. <laughs> it is, it is. The subtext is, oh. Okay, there's far too many recommendations now to ignore it. <laughs> Uh, Pete, that brings us to you. How about your week? Uh, Games. Okay, it's been exhausting. So uh, most, <laughs> most of what I've been doing over this weekend is I've been travelling to Nottingham. I went to go and take in a game of football with uh, the uh, other co-host from the other podcast I do, Kurt. Uh, met him for the first time in person, which was very cool. So that is uh, very cool. Shame about the result. We didn't win. But I had a night wow. in Nottingham. It was good fun. Managed to travel home. Uh, played some Shredder's Revenge, actually, on the way there and back and completed it. So not going to complain about that. And on the Switch that. this time. And you yes. said on the Switch this time. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. So before I played it on the Xbox, because it was on Game Pass, of course. <laughs> but I'd bought the copy of the Switch because I wanted to support the developers. And uh, yeah, the Switch version runs really, really well as well. Apart from one level that may have some slowdown. Which wow. I mean, it's quite. There's quite a lot going on, on the screen at that time, and sort of, sort of to be expected from a smaller dev studio as well, who are <laughs> essentially doing four versions of the game. Right, right. You know, That's very, very that. true. So, you know, a minor yeah. hiccup here and there, I can understand. Yeah, for sure. Um, and Pete, you may have lost the game, but you won in friendship. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> uh, which I'll be talking to Kurt more about over the week. So. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Should have done a live show from there. Um, I wanted but... to, but we could, we didn't have the time. I know, I know. Um, but yes, so uh, mostly I've just been playing mobile games uh, while my workroom is being worked on because I can't get back to work until my workroom is fixed. Um, there's no ceiling. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least it I has mean, walls now we, we can spin it amazing skylight <laughs> there you go tremendous oh, open space there you mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. high ceilings <laughs> really high ceilings at this Great point view. <laughs> susceptible to oh. the odd bit of damp here and there though yeah yeah, yeah. Just, just a little bit just a little bit of mold on the <laughs> Reminds but me hey, of, hey, like, an episode natural of young voice. Ones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, this is yeah. Neil. Uh, would you come down for a bite? <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, well, I am going to toss it over to Pete to give us a little background of what the core subject of, or core theme, rather, 
of today's show is about because it's actually a serious topic uh but we're kind of unserious here at times um Mm -hmm. but i kid you not you guys want to whether you're watching us or listening to us uh from home or on your way to work or at work (laughs) that happens Mm -hmm. too (laughs) um you really want to tune into this uh because it is a true insight into um well into a world that a lot of us just gamers uh don't really have you know an idea about um and i'm always fascinated about behind the scenes stuff but pete if you can give us a little tiny bit of a background um and then we'll we'll move forward sure thing so uh let me set you the scene where i woke up the other morning you know waiting to start work i'd woken up early after doing it you know i've posted to a late shift for that day so i'd woken up too early you know was going about my normal day and just happened to see someone retweet something on twitter of course you know despite the hellscape (laughs) that it is at the moment i'm still getting through things and daniel knows as per example how i am on twitter (laughs) it's how we got contacted before with to do the episode just by randomly finding something so anyway uh, it, it, it just so happened that Mick Gordon, the um, the composer from Doom and Doom Eternal, as well as many other things across the the length and breadth of his career that I can't go into details about because I'm not as knowledgeable about that. But most mo- most recently, he has done Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal, and this why I mention these because it's the the main topic of what we're going to be talking about. And this one has been two and a half years in the making. So uh, to give you a short rundown of the timeline of events of how things have come to pass, and then we can talk about the uh, statements that was had from each individual person that was uh, reflected in this story. So uh, we know that Doom Eternal was uh, announced at E3 2018. Uh, where it was revealed once again that Mick Gordon would be coming back to uh, reprise the soundtrack and at that time wasn't actually known but would be doing the OST for it too uh, which was the case with Doom 2016 too. Uh, A very well received soundtrack Mm -hmm. and multi award winning soundtrack, let's put that in there. That's very important, Um, that is very important to note. uh, To which we then saw the first footage of it at QuakeCon 2018 um the game was originally supposed to have a release of 22nd of November 2019. Um, but it was, you know, in that time, they'd also announced a collector's edition for the game. A physical collector's edition that included a statue. And most importantly for this particular line of the story, the CD for the OST. Yeah. Now, there's a lot of discussion about that uh, OST, but we can go into that in more detail. In the industry, we call that foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> so, after that announcement, um, there was a few months of silence as to sort of be expected um, until Bethesda and id Software uh, announced that the game was uh, being delayed on October the 8th, 2019, where they announced that the game would be having several months of polish before it was due to release on Animal Crossing Day, that is 20th of March 2020. I remember it well. (laughs) Yes, the memes were aplenty those days, and we loved them all. Um, So it was stated that there would be a physical OST that would be included within the the collector's edition at launch, um, 
but they announced on the 12th of March that they weren't going to hit that particular um, time scale for the 20th of March physical release. So um, they asked for a few more weeks. Uh, it was then uh, the soundtrack was then released on the 19th of, of April 2020. But there was no official confirmation provided for when the physical version of said OST would be announced. So, with that out of the way, we now get into the main crux of the issue. And that pulls us through to June of 2020. So, height of the pandemic, we're sitting at home, we're all enjoying games and life at home, I guess. I say enjoy. <laughs> we we did. So many Some games. did. Um... <laughs> However, I loved it. So <laughs> I, I need to put this into perspective. So we have two main players within this story. Uh, obviously, Bethesda and id Softworks are involved because of the development studios and the parent company. And let's say Zenimax as well for this particular situation. We then have Marty Stratton, who was uh, one of the directors, uh, I believe, and uh, executive producers at uh, id Software. Um so he goes on to Reddit, weirdly, in June of yeah. 2020, posts up via his own account a very lengthy statement about the uh, addressing the issues surrounding the uh, OST. Now, I, I remember articles coming out at the time around about this, and obviously they took a very singular stance on this one and pretty much condemned... Uh, Mick Gordon for his either lack of a rebuttal or don't know wanted to take the side of Zenimax and Id. No idea what was going on there. But there were a lot of articles that sort of, let's say, may not have done their due diligence and actually asked for comments or Mick wasn't exactly forthcoming with comments. We don't know. I'm not too sure. So I can only speculate from here. <laughs> However, this now brings us on to... Uh, I've just noticed there's an error in my document. Uh, November of 2022, not 2020. Um, so two and a half years later, uh, Mick Gordon decides to finally address the uh, Reddit post in a lengthy 58-minute medium post that not only included words, but lots of screenshots and what we'd like to call mm -hmm. in the industry receipts. <laughs> yes. So... This is where I kick over to our guests, who may want to bring up anything that they may have read in said document or the initial Reddit statement. So I guess uh, we'll go to Daniel on this one about the Reddit statement that was posted out by Marty Stratton. Well, I mean, reading it through, you know, you and for him to be unchallenged for the last two years and and especially posting it on Reddit for me, that's a red flag already because it's. <laughs> fan base right. right right and a lot of fires and fuel and hate can really yeah. be on that platform so for me i i would say reddit is not my go-to and we all know from past experiences and fixing that out of hand over there oh sure. yes sorry to interrupt <laughs> daniel i must uh, just add one final part about thought about this sorry was that this was posted on the official doom subreddit as well so it just, just doesn't make it better. But yeah. No, it doesn't. But I wanted to add that context. So. Uh, I mean, for things now, I want to hear from um, 
uh, from Mick Gordon's side and uh, the timeline and all that stuff, um, that really changes everything. And as you said, he has the receipts to prove his innocence and almost showing the more incompetence of sure. this other individual. Um, but for me, do I see myself work for ID Software in the future? Well, <laughs> if this guy is not there, of course, I would gladly like to give myself a try for something but uh, i don't think i'm the guy but so i'm not blacklisting myself (laughs) but it's so sad to see that one individual can make or break uh another person who has a really good work ethic i really make really loves mick gordon's experimental faces before Mm -hmm. he even starts writing and to get inspiration from not only modern industrial techno but Mm -hmm. also go to the swedish band meshuga yes um, for the guitar riffs and all that stuff you know for me it was a match made in hell (laughs) (laughs) so uh, i I really enjoyed um, uh, what mick gordon has done and i think uh, whatever happened for the second game, uh, it was a clusterfuck of just bad planning. And uh, and right now, I'm also writing a music for his game. But for me, it's very important that what is this song about? What's the location? Uh, who am I writing? Like, is it a character-driven thing, or or uh, like, uh, is it an ambience, like a world-building kind of track? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I think all of these things would really be needed before I even start writing a track, and of course, sign a contract first. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's my short take on this issue. But we're going to go into details later. Oh I yes, suppose. yes, yeah. yes. So, uh, yeah, TJ. Uh, uh, did you want to have any thoughts uh, initially about obviously everything you've seen regarding this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing is I think a lot like I'm coming from a much more indie perspective, having worked with a lot of indie studios and having like, you know, that's sort of where my network is. I it's really interesting to see the way that like different people approach, you know, direction and that sort of thing. And I think about how like with music in particular, it's such um, it's ironically it's sort of like a silent actor in a way in the way that like you're not always actively aware of it being there but it's always acting on you whether you know it's a musical choice that's actual music or it's a musical choice of like we're not going to have music here and i think like one thing that particularly struck me in this whole situation is how early um in the uh process they were writing music but specifically writing finalized music because when you're working with a game, you know, day one, not everything's going to be figured out. And there's a lot that's going to change and evolve. Game making is a very complicated and involved process that revolves a lot that involves a lot of iteration. And being there early can be great um, if you're doing what the rest of the team is doing and experimenting and trying stuff out and sort of figuring out what the soundtrack is going to be in the in the larger vibe of things. But, when you're required to deliver finalized tracks like he was from, you know, the start of production, when not everything is figured out, um, a lot of the issues that it sounds like he was having comes from the fact that, like, he would deliver all these finalized tracks. And of course they would need to be redone because nobody had a good idea of what was going on at that point, you know, two years before release. And so, um, you know, it. That that's one of the big things that personally struck me, but it's very very um, 
this whole thing is a mess and it's going to be interesting to really get into the details of it of it all yeah. um yeah um well that's some of my questions um both of you of course uh, i want to hear your perspectives but um I guess we'll throw it to Daniel and then back to CJ. <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I'm used to working with a larger group. <laughs> so, we can do a little uh, bit of tennis. Yeah, exactly. We'll do a little tennis. There you go. Um, but I do want to ask out of you know pure curiosity to help our, our audience understand. Um, so uh, l- let's start. Of course, you don't have to go into fine detail and or anything like that. But... Uh, what's the process, the normal, what's the average process for, um, uh, no, let me rephrase that. <laughs> First, explain to us the difference between um, the sound design for the game uh, versus the OST, um, the soundtrack. Because as someone who doesn't know anything, who comes into it, I think, oh, they just take the songs from the game and they put it on a CD. That can't be right. <laughs> So, <laughs> Tana, if you want to walk us through a little bit of that, uh, and then we'll throw it over to TJ and get, get his perspective as well in the indie scene. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's try to define the word sound design. Uh, basically, this is the moment. There are actually two kinds of sound design. We can call uh, one, we call it musical sound design. That's when we're trying to tweak sounds on the synthesizers to create new uh brushes of paint to use in our musical oh, yes. adventures here mm. uh, and then you have game sound design which is foley um explosions right. uh, all that's bad we, effects type yeah i mean if you're an indie game developer so sometimes you as a music composer will also dabble in that kind of sound design as well but that's not our major thing uh but probably me and tj we more like the synthesizer sample like try to create new tools for us to use as mus- musicians right Right. Uh, but then writing music for a game, let's take my best case is Resident Evil 6 because that's a AAA thing mm-hmm. that's would probably have been done the same if <clears throat> ID Software or whoever was in charge uh, would have waited. Uh, as you said, now Mick had to rewrite a lot of stuff because he was... <clears throat> Uh, already from the beginning and they thought hey if we have full tracks right now then we don't need to spend much time on music but that's why in production circles we have pre-production production phase and then post-production and usually that's where in film that's that's where the composer comes in and have maybe about well if if it's a great movie where he gets to express himself maybe about 10 months but before that, he might be involved a little bit at pre-production stage. Maybe you get a script okay. or something he can read from, try okay. to come up with themes and things like that. But then they say, okay, we got the picture, we lock down. Uh, the same, same thing happens with game. But of course, me and TJ probably will work against alpha footage, like a, a stick figure walking through a, right. some kind of very bare bones. But they, they tell you at least, imagine this is a jungle, this is some like the space here's how our character moves that might give us an idea about the tempo or or wow. how we can describe the character music and, and i think that's that's what i do especially mm-hmm. for resident evil 6 mm-hmm. so when resident evil 6 came to me we were about two years away from release right and, okay uh, okay so we still had a little bit of time, but they already managed to solidify, okay, uh, for this character, we need this kind of sounds. For this character, we need that kind of sound. And so they've broken down everything. Like they have already figured out what was needed before we even got there. So that was a huge 
Like, like, yeah, okay, I don't need to figure out what I need to yeah. look for sound-wise, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how we got And that's how it should have been. They should have figured all things out, but they went the completely backwards way. And, of course, that's just wasting a great ta- talent like Mick Gordon. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, okay, that sound worked for the previous game, but what if this one looks different? We we, <laughs> we never got to see that, right? Right. And, uh, so in Mick's defense, I can tell you, I mean, sometimes I want to be in production, pre-production stage. So at least I can do some sketches, but that's not supposed to be the real thing. That's just <gasps> ideas. Right. But the guy, Stratton, or whatever his name is, yeah. um, he has, we can use that without his knowledge. And for me, I would never, yeah, as Mick said, these mm-hmm. are demos just he was very, sold. yeah. <clears throat> yeah, he was very specific about very, that. Very, very, yes. Without my permission. Don't use without, mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that kind of where my heart breaks because then you don't get the best of it, you know, but yeah. that's just my take on it. How about you, TJ? Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I mean, like one thing that is really drilled into us as composers and I mean, it's drilled into like industry professionals, but also by like just working with people is that when you send them something that doesn't sound real, Um, A lot of people that aren't musicians can't really see through that. And so you try to send like the best product possible and you can hear some of the things that were put out uh, in the final soundtrack that were demos and they sound fantastic, but they're demos. Mm. Right. Okay. You know, and so it's like, um, even though they sound fantastic, they don't have the extra polish. They don't have that extra, like Mm -hmm. everything to really make that a release. And so them putting that out there is kind of a slap in the face in a lot of ways. But also one thing that I want to get into a little bit is that, and he mentions it a little bit in his article, which I'm very old fashioned. So I printed it out and highlighted it <laughs> while I read it. It is 60 pages. It's very long. Wow. Okay. It, yeah. I knew it was a long read. Wowzers. Um, okay. Wow. Done their prep work then. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. We had um, to study really hard for this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the um, one thing that he gets into a little bit is the interactive nature of games and the way that, like, if you think like a movie like Star Wars, for example, right, Luke is going to walk, you know, and be on that hill and look into the sun at the same time every single time you watch it. But if you were to play a video game where you walk and when you do these different events is never set. It's always up to the player interaction. Right. And so the music has to reflect that and the music has to be um, adaptable enough so that like, oh, the player is going to go off over here and do this for 10 minutes instead of following the main storyline. Okay, the music needs to move to reflect that. The, you know, or any anything that you could com- uh, conceive that could happen, the music needs to be able to reflect that. And so when you give music, they used um, WYs, which is a middle uh, a middleware that we also use at Bova Studios. Um, and what that allows you to do is you can like take the music and chop it up into little pieces and it'll just be able to reorder them, be able to figure out like mixing it and do all these different things that can allow it to react. But what that means is that there's never really a file that is the track. There are like 50 files yes. that are the track. I gotcha. Uh, okay, yeah. that's really, really interesting because that was the one yeah. thing I didn't really get 
when I yes. was reading through all the uh, the Mick Gordon stuff. So it's good yeah. to get some clarification on that one. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's like, like I was saying, in my very simple brain, simplistic brain, it was, oh, this file goes on a CD and now it's a soundtrack. Okay, no. <laughs> this is why. <laughs> and to be fair, there are games like that. You Like you think like old RPGs, for example, or modern RPGs that are... Mm -hmm. Undertale's a great example, (laughs) where, like, you can break into that game and you can take the music files out Mm -hmm. of there, and they're pretty much the same files as the final uh, soundtrack ones. They're not exactly the same. They are different. Right, There's a little Um, polish or something. Yeah, yeah, but they're basically the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, those aren't broken up because Undertale's not the sort of game. It's not the right style to have something that's going to be super interactive because it just has a looping track. It's very, style. yeah, yeah. And to be fair, it's a bit more of a linear path rather than some of the exactly. more explorational games where you need to have the music to adapt to it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very complicated and, and yeah, it's very complicated. Well, my, yeah, um, go ahead, let Oh, yeah. So, I mean, exactly uh, what he said here. Like when I did RE6, um, we had to write two versions of the situation. Okay. And um, so basically, all right, let's let's try to make it as simple as we can. Like the most complicated track I did for the game was some uh, the VTOL mission, Flight of the VTOL. Yes. And um, I think it contained six different parts. Oh, wow. uh, you have an intro that's the opening cinematic and then that intro is going to transition into the first loop and that's when you're flying around shooting missiles and all mm-hmm, that stuff mm-hmm. and then when you're done with that you have to find another transition point so another piece of music needs right. to be created for that and that's going to lead into the next loop and now you're suddenly covering fire or you're the other character running around on the ship and then there's another transition another loop and then the ending for ending cinematic and we just did them in blocks and then i said okay um for the soundtrack now we have to do a second file so now we have to try to combine everything into a musical uh, way that makes sense right but it's but we also work the other way around we wrote the entire suite first with all the loops as a song and then told us now break them up into loops so we had to work like Either one way or the other way. Um, so it, now, adaptive music, as TJ said here, is the A and O for today's modern piece of mm-hmm. um, storytelling through music in games. But as he said, it's not one track, which that would have been the thing with mm-hmm. RE6, but they ran out of memory. So they played everything for us in stereo. Right. <laughs> so we did not get the cinematic feel that we wanted. So, right. uh, as I said there in the old podcast, for people who didn't hear it, uh, I was kind of broken because we wanted to be like yeah. Uncharted. And I think yeah. Uncharted is the best way to explain adaptive music. Like when you hear a piece of music that might be a one minute loop, mm-hmm. but after each minute, they filter in new instruments just right. to make a variation of that. But it's still just one minute of music being produced here. Mm. And that's very, very flexible. And that's very, very cool. So adaptive music, that is the term. That is amazing. TJ Martin, nice, nice work, man. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Uh, To add one 
Oh, sorry. No, you can. No, you go right ahead. We're loving this. <laughs> to add one more wrinkle and sort of jumping off what you just said, Daniel, um, one other wrinkle is a storage space. Which, when you think about a game, everyone complains about file sizes nowadays. How file sizes are huge, but like, yeah, the con the amount of stuff that goes into a game is massive. And I always go back to remembering whenever I'm writing or you know mastering or implementing, I I remember. Um, one of my first teachers was someone that was working on uh, Civ Five over at Firaxis. Wow. Oh, and nice. one thing that they talked about, there. oh, it's wonderful. It is. It's really, really atmospheric and perfect. Okay. <laughs> uh, when they were teaching us WYs, one thing that they were mentioning was about all the optimization because over there, they their entire memory allowance for all of the music of the game um, was something along the lines of like 35 megabytes. It was very, <laughs> very small, which meant there had to be a lot of compression on the files. Mm -hmm. Um, and so taking those files from the game and then putting them into the soundtrack, of course, the studio would have the uncompressed versions of the files, but it's just another wrinkle into the, how, how different the actual soundtrack is from the sound that you're getting from the game. Um, it, it really is night and day and it takes a lot of work to, um, be able to present that well because hmm. that was one thing that i really sort of had to learn like very very quickly obviously when it came to audio editing and for full disclosure i have no uh no background in music apart from <laughs> wanting to play a bass a long time ago and playing pretty badly but through doing this podcast and a few others obviously you've had to learn about audio engineering and sound editing and all that and the one thing that always surprised me the first time around is how massive sound files are and yeah, oh, yeah. Th that was a big shock you know especially when you're uh you know exporting to a WAV file that you know the files themselves are tiny like could be small by comparison and then the whole package comes out to almost triple maybe qu quadruple the size of what you've you've put into it and it it was massively surprising so i can't imagine like the sort of constraints they must have had to have done in terms of compression with you know, the, the NES, the 8-bit, the 16-bit generations, but now they've got all the space in the world, but most of them are taken up by graphics. So in terms of that, like, how much file size do you actually get in a modern game? Like, in terms of the music and sound? Well, I mean, like, if I do an average, I would say when I work in my software I think every software process sounds a little bit different, but if I break everything down into sound files, it's hard to say. But let's say in general, like a three-minute piece of song, mm -hmm. and then how many layers you have of of each instrument. Right. Uh, like say for me, uh, let's say thirty-six tracks, which is kind of medium for for a game soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But I guess you can get up to like, depending. Now also, this is the, the thing that could be different. That can decide file size, of course, is um, the bit rate mm -hmm. uh, and right. uh, what kind of frequency you're using as well. And that's something I always ask client: How do you want the files delivered? And they always ask me: Okay, uh, 24 bit, 48 kilohertz, mm -hmm. and that increases the file size by uh, amount of maybe another plus 20 to 35 percent in file wow. size. Yeah. So, uh, but I would say yes, like you said audio files is probably the largest files you can generate in a short amount of time. So I would say an average, maybe up to two to three gigabytes for one song. 
depending on the file size and wow. how many instruments you have. Right? Wow, okay. Uh, so you're running out of disk space really quickly. And uh, yeah. that's that's a problem for all of us here. <laughs> like, I need something for my sample libraries and I mm -hmm. need some space for my project. And that's why we have to try to separate our hard drives from each other a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh it, one of those skills you don't learn in music school, hard drive management. <laughs> right? Yeah. Seems like it's one of those things that should be taught, but you learn on the job. Yeah, yeah nobody <laughs> ever told me about how, how many hard drives I'd need when I started this podcast. <laughs> um, so, okay. It, and I, again, we're dealing with limited understanding over here. Um, so in, in this case, in this particular case uh, with the Doom soundtrack, um, I know that Stratton refers to uh, Chad <laughs> a couple of times. <laughs> what a name. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, Mick also mentions uh, Chad as well. And he was he was like the uh, lead audio engineer, I think, on the project. Well, exactly. Okay, yes. Um, I believe so my, that's the case. My question is this. Is that, and you guys' experience, various experience, is it normal to have a main creator and a backup creator it's kind of my simplistic terms here um because he kept referring to i'm going to use chad's tracks instead um which i found very odd again as an outsider watching this is that a common practice to have like two people working on a uh, a soundtrack or a sound design rather type thing uh, you first? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. Actually, let, let TJ go first. Okay, time. TJ, you for go sure? for it. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, and I'm coming from a bit of a more indie background, so a right. little bit of salt, but um, I would say no, that's not very normal. Okay. But I think, like, the thing that really strikes me as abnormal, and also I want to, you know, I'm not going to run anyone through the mud or anything. Right. Uh, yeah. We don't know how much other work. I mean, he's the lead audio designer. How much other work he had to do in order to get the yeah. game out. Um, but one thing is that, like, when you're working for a client, um, especially a client like, you know, a big studio, they own everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And yeah. you don't really get to retain. Yeah. I mean, like, you can have the files, but, like, you don't own, like, no, your... Yeah. You know, DAW files, your stems, all those things are owned by the company. Mm -hmm. um, and he talked that this was the case in this case where, like, he was required to not only send in, like, oh, here are finalized tracks and here are demos, but also all of the stems. And all of the stems, by the way, are basically, like, effectively single instrument tracks of every single track. Oh, and so, like, okay. you have seven different audio files that when you play them at the same time create... Uh, the one audio file so that they can mash it up and they can have different layers of like, oh, there's this enemy coming from over here. We're going to have a new layer of the music sort of come in on top of this and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But um, they had all of that, which means that like all the same stuff that um, he was working with on his end, they had on their end. And so the idea of like taking these heavily compressed files and like just being like oh these are the only things we have to work with we have nothing else that we can use to master these yeah it's a little crazy i i found it odd that stratton says um let me find oh i just lost it uh, 
But he says, oh, we don't have access. There it is. Uh, Alternative. I'm, I'm quoting Stratton here. Um, alternatively, when mixing and mastering for an OST, mix starts with his source material (parentheses), which we don't typically have access to. Um, and remixes for the OST to ensure the highs and lows are not clipped, as seen in his 12 OST tracks. Uh, so is that? I don't really see. No, I'm going to leave my opinion out of it. So is it normal? <laughs> Daniel will go with that, I guess, for you. Uh, is it normal to... Uh, they don't have access to the the whole material? Is that pretty normal to, to start with? You you have your, your sketch, um, as you refer to it, but it's yours, and they don't have access to it? Is that pretty typical? In the beginning, I mean, mm -hmm. we have tried to um, send our minds and thoughts over musically with a mm -hmm. single stereo file. Uh, I think that's like beautiful. That, yes. Right? And I say, hey, there, here's my ideas for the track with your directions that you've given me. And once I say, okay, this is good, uh, you can now stem it out. And depending on who's in charge or whatever the game company is, they might have their own little stem out chart. Because okay. sometimes you don't want to have too many audio tracks. So that's maybe now you have to try to figure out, okay, maybe we have uh, bright percussion, dark percussions. We have mm -hmm. uh, every separate brass element, trumpet, trombones, uh, tubas, whatever. And then a string section, maybe high string, low string. And then maybe uh, a synthesizer area with uh, like the high sounds and low sounds. And then you just try to maybe compress what you have, like maybe, say, 60 different instruments into compromises of 12 channels. So there's a balancing act happening here, too. And I, for me, I like to mix my tracks so the, the audio engineer does not need to do much. Uh, but in the end, it all comes down to uh the mixing engineer anyway for certain mm -hmm. things yeah. like i mean of course working indie that means i have more control of my music and how i want it to deliver and how it's going to sound mm -hmm. in, in the end anyway but mm -hmm. on a, when you're working as a contractor outside as a freelance i have to trust the people over at the company that they're dealing with my files exactly the way they want all the other composers. And then now, here's the thing. This is why it's so different between Western developers and mm -hmm. here in Japan. Like, okay, so we had, technically, I thought was, we were going to be four composers for each campaign, right? Okay, yes. But in the end, we were like uh, four foreigners and 20 Japanese composers for one game. Right, okay. And the... Uh, and it's crazy. Everybody gets credit, but for different reasons, uh, maybe yeah. not others are getting credited as composers, but maybe as a SID programmer okay. or as a musical sound designer or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they're still in the game. But yeah, we, we were like 24 composers for one game, which is Whoa, too much. okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's no consistency. Okay. See, this is yeah. where I was going with this. I was very confused because as you as you read more of what uh, stratton wrote he he talks about uh, uh chad and mick working together and they did they worked together uh but doing two separate things um yeah. and so they combined yeah 
now that's a thing so we have to take the term like what what do you mean he's a co-composer or mm-hmm. a co-producer mm-hmm. of the track because he didn't do anything musically or technically <laughs> to the track right um and as we already article like uh, actually i was listening to doom today and mm-hmm. the doom eternal soundtrack and wow they're two completely different experiences yes yep very much yes a lot of uh, reviewers do- at the time noted that um, which is why it stuck out in my mind and why I followed Mick after uh, after we reviewed the game uh, I, uh, ourselves. I can, I can also tell you from trying to find the samples of music for that video <laughs> review, there was a distinct difference between 2016 oh, yeah. and Doom Eternal's soundtracks mm-hmm. in terms of its quality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, they did, did reuse one of the songs from the first Doom game, BFG. Yeah. <laughs> BFG Division. BFG division and then listening to the other one and I, I did just that I was like wow yeah this sound muffled and mm-hmm. distorted beyond belief and what could have happened here is that oh yeah we have this track but let's try to match it one more time so it's like a double exposure of sound that's happening right that's why it's so compressed yes and muffled and uh, that's not how it should be Mm-hmm. And when we looked at the waveforms, you see that Mick Gordon soundtrack for Doom 2016. Mm-hmm. You have all these definition, all this yeah. clarity. You can see the waveform. Mm-hmm. But with a new one, you don't. Mm-hmm. It's just, as we call it, bricked. Right. Yeah. Faster. I was going to say and that. Now, as, sorry, as someone obviously seen this sort of thing when doing editing myself, all I saw was like a small line that then slightly built up and then this just big chunk of audio mm-hmm. that just that just looked really out of place to me as someone who's dabbled in had, audio editing. I was going to say for our review, our video review, we had access to the press kits. Um, so we had access to their their version of, of the released audio. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was not, it wasn't, yeah, it I, wasn't. Uh, yeah, I've seen I've seen it when I've had like low sound files that are not of great quality, and when you try to mix them down, it does say that you're compressing a lousy file. Uh-huh. So I sort of imagine that's kind of what it was. Yeah. Mm. Um. So would this be? Uh, uh, well, I was going to say, would this be then very typical? Um, the the time frame that they gave him and Chad, I'd say, because I think they were working as a team, really, uh, for the OST, is that a typical time frame that a, a company requests? <laughs> TJ, would you like to take this one? <laughs> uh, having worked in mostly indie uh, dev situations, I don't think I can take this one, so I think this one's <laughs> Daniel. <laughs> okay, all right. I mean, for me, it all happened in parallel. Uh, that's why they said, okay, you, you've written the song first. That's going to be the album thing. And now you're going to break these things up. That's going to be for the end game. Uh, but the, the most interesting part is like, for me, or actually for Capcom, uh, they wanted our files to be as uncluttered as possible. Uh, don't do I, any compression or any kind of like uh, effect that is and uh, like taking away all the dynamics from mix let that let the game audio engine do that mm. so that's the plan so we try to just deliver the crispiest waveforms that we can do that's not distorted that is not like over compressed i'm sure some basses or guitars for effect 
can be compressed. That's no problem. But in general, the entire mix, uh, that's up to the company to do the rest. I just try to perform right, okay. a ground mix, a ground mix. So basically, this is a starting point for you guys can start mixing the instruments. Will you take it from there? It's in their hands because now this is the property of of the company. I have nothing more to right. do with that. Very similar um, to art design. But uh, in the games, I guess, as I said, we have That's... more responsibility how it's going to sound in the final product. So that means that we also mix and master tracks yourself. But I, since I'm doing kind of like my first or second indie game right now, I've always been fascinated if I should do this final step that we call mastering. Right. That's what you should do for an album before we print it because it may sound awesome. Yeah. Every track, right. instead of sounding like this, normal, we can actually punch up the sound to sound more wide, more more stereo depth, even though we have a printed stereo file right now. Uh, so we can actually, from a, a simple stereo file, we can enhance it somewhat to sound good on different systems mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And for a game, I never heard heard music being mastered for the game in game. I always think of it as that's a like an album thing that right, we're doing, right, but TJ, do you master your your yeah, tracks wanted, for I, in the games? I was gonna say I would like to hear a little bit of perspective if you if you wouldn't mind sharing, yeah. TJ, uh, about the indie process because again, totally uh, this is totally behind the scenes stuff that we we as gamers are not aware of and it's so interesting Mm. i mean yeah uh as far as mastering goes i do a level of mastering i don't do nearly as much mastering as i would do if i was to like put out like when we like are like oh here's a new track for the game check this out i do a lot more mastering for that Mm. usually what i'm doing um is i'm doing sort of like a light mastering to make sure um so I'm sure that you guys being, you know, working in podcasts, you guys know about uh, decibels, your DBs. Um, (laughs) But there are also these things called LUFTs, L-U-F-Ts, I think is the acronym, uh, which measure uh, something called loudness, which is basically literally how loud do we perceive something. Um, And so what I do in the – what I do when I'm mastering for a game is I try not to like – so for our game, Squirrely Roo Rabbit – uh, all of the audio I try to be coming out at around negative 15 luffs or so, which is about like the standard for YouTube. I think YouTube might be a little bit louder than that, but it's around that area. Um, the track, it, the musical track itself, I do a little bit under that. I do that at around like negative 20 or so. And I just keep those all the same because it keeps. I, I do a little bit of mastering to make sure that like all of those are coming out at that loudness so that when I put things into WYs uh, and I put like these different elements together, there's nothing, um, you know, there's nothing that is going to surprise me, right? Like right. I'm not going to put it in a music file and be like, oh my God, that music file is way too loud or, oh my God, this these files are way too soft. I have to turn it up a lot and... Um, just like consistency then right that's right. that's where i aim for versus i'm not going through and doing all of like a, a lot of the things like um like really really trying to like get it 
to a perfect, perfect state. A lot of that I'm going to do actually in WYs when I'm also like doing it with the sound effects and seeing like, oh, how how are things lining up? How are things, you know, sounding against the, uh, against the, uh, the sound effects? And how does like the whole game sound? Are there any frequencies that are popping up way too much that are sort of like bulking together or areas where it sounds like a little bit uh, barren frequencies or I, I, I do most of that side of mastering um, in the uh, in WIs. That that is really blowing my mind. How much how much layer layers uh, not a not a pun <laughs> how many layers go into this uh, you know that we don't know. So so even approaching this um, I was gonna say fiasco that's not really debacle i don't know <laughs> this controversy that's disagreement uh, this disagreement that uh mick gordon and stratton are having there's so much more behind the scenes that the average person doesn't understand uh, just through lack of you know lack of knowledge you know type thing um although i would say that if for our audience watching or listening if you go and read these two accounts <clears throat> i still think you'll come up on Mick Gordon's side. <laughs> mm. um, but, uh, Pete, will you, <clears throat> do you have any questions while I mute myself and cough? <laughs> okay. Um, so I actually wanted to move this slightly more forward and start talking about some of the discrepancies in, actually in terms of the two stories <laughs> itself. So, like I said at the top of this, obviously Marty had put, posted out the statement to Reddit in June of 2020, <clears throat> and now... We come to Mick's uh, response as of November of 2022. It's two and a half years later, and it's very, very interesting to see the discrepancies between the two stories. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pass this over to TJ first, and he's an excellent binder of, uh, of information that's been highlighted. What was the biggest thing for you that stood out in Marty's, um, Marty's statement that actually was refuted by uh, Mick and made you think, I'm definitely on mixed side on this one. Hmm. I mean, I think the biggest, the biggest thing that was refuted, uh, I don't know about the biggest thing that was refuted because this wasn't really mentioned in the original statement, but I think the biggest thing that hit me like a ton of bricks was um, the amount of music that ended up in the final game. So one thing that uh, Mick talks about is that he was contracted for, I think it was 152 minutes of music. It's about an hour and 32 minutes or so. Um, and in, uh, you know, when you're composing for a game, that's extremely important because you're being paid not by the hour you're composing, but by the minute of music you produce. Right, and, okay. And right. so if you write a three minute track, and you have to rewrite that two, three, four times, you're not being paid hourly for the time that you're spending doing that. You're being paid for that three-minute stretch of music. That, that was what I got the impression from reading through Mick's uh, statement, actually, was that you're paid by the minute of the actual final wow. product rather than the actual work done towards it. Exactly. And so um, one of the big things that ended up happening is he sent in a lot of files for final approval, uh, for final approval that were rejected, but those rejected files were then used in the game. Right. Yeah. And that's a huge problem because that means that like, I mean, he of course ended up writing two or three times as much music. And of course that's, 
how the project goes sometimes, right? That sometimes there has to be iteration. And in, in mm -hmm. video games, especially with how early he was starting and how, like, you know, eventual iteration by the nature of how they did the project was baked into um, the nature of uh, the nature of the beast. Um, the uh, you, he ended up with like over two times as much music at the end. And, you know, if they only use the music that's accepted, that's the job. Right. But when they use so much more music, that is unpaid work according to your right. contract and that's mm -hmm. such to, to me that's like such a slap in the face mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. i mean uh, when reading through and you you look at it and you see that uh as per the i'm going to air quote contract because that was the one prevalent thing that stood out for me it was that there was no contract written up before he actually took on the work uh yeah. that's quite disgraceful never never sign something and do work without you know without signing it you know <laughs> always be paid for what you're doing of course but the interesting thing was is that i think the part of the terms of the contract when it officially did come through was a 12 track ost mm -hmm. that ended up being 59 tracks upon release now yes. that that obviously tells you that a lot of the the old masters some of the rejected tracks or some of the stuff that chad had been working on in the background had made it into that soundtrack when it probably shouldn't have been and that was the thing I think that stood quite prevalent was the screenshot of the two. Um, so like when you're looking at like Windows and you see the two folders that you have and it shows the amount of tracks that just has solely Mick Gordon on it. It's like 11 or 12. And that should have been the soundtrack. Well, it's um, crazy. I was going to say, uh, Daniel, what about your thoughts on, uh, well, on contractual work? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing that really scares me, that this could happen at the AAA level. I mean, mm -hmm. not having a contract would be something I would expect for an inexperienced indie game developer not to do. But <laughs> this is a guy who's been in this industry yeah. and not having a contract to sign. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about not going the way it should have been. And that... Uh, when it came to this deal about, oh, yeah, we're going to offer this, uh, uh, was a CE edition, mm -hmm. um, yeah. collector's yeah. edition, right? And then add on top of that, oh, we're going to release a soundtrack uh, by Mick Gordon. And Mick Gordon wasn't even involved. He found out on yeah. the E3 announcement. I'm like, what? No yeah. one told me about this, you know? And then now suddenly you have a deadline uh, that's like, I don't know how many months away it was now. I forgot in the article, but that was like a, like, oh shit, we now we have to deliver. Mm -hmm. And now that, this is probably where the, all the crooks lies because I don't like blaming other people for my mistakes. Right. But mm -hmm. this Stratton guy wanted basically put all the failures onto Mick in case yeah. this game or the soundtrack was delivered on time because of the pre-orders. But this is why I never buy pre-orders, people, because you always <laughs> don't get disappointed. So yeah. uh, I, I, I think um, um, it's unfortunate. Uh, I mean, I think now, of course, Mick Gordon knows, yeah, well, I should probably sign the contract before I take on a job like this. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we are... I mean, this is the brilliant thing about Mick. He has everything time-stamped. As you said, he got the receipts. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I mean, just reading that, and you're like, mm. yeah, Mick, I feel you. We're on the same side. But <laughs> yeah. working eleven months without being paid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is. I've I've been working two and a half months and not being paid. I know what it feels like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think. I yeah. I feel you. Is all I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> well. Yeah. Um... So sorry, Chloe. Uh, just for clarification, yeah, yeah, the collector's edition was announced E3 in June 2019, and then they were supposed to release it, obviously, in okay. November or, or October. Oh. Sorry, uh, no, yeah, November. It was supposed to release in November, so he wasn't given a lot of time scale. And then you read in the article itself that the contract for that OST, even after the delay, didn't come through until January, and that was only because he had to contact Zenimax to be able and Bethesda to actually be able to do something with it. Right, and get a contract signed, and then yeah. came the twelve one, right? But yeah. yeah. So, it's, um... so do you feel like? Sorry, if I've stepped on your toes here, Kylie, and asking oh, a question. Fine. But do do you feel that actually that's what sort of put Marty's back up a little bit more than anything? Is that actually Mick stopped dealing with with Marty because he wasn't getting what he wanted or what he needed, and obviously not getting the answers he wants by going to Zenimax and to Bethesda to actually get a contract for the work that he wants as why so just to put it in clarification reading in the the reddit it sort of feels like uh Marty wanted to have complete control over this project in every way shape or form with everybody and by getting Zenimax and Bethesda involved he had that control taken away from him and as a narcissistic person would <laughs> react <laughs> they put their back up and they started putting more barriers in place, which then causes more friction to then come to the forefront. So, uh, would you say that I'd be completely wrong in that interpretation? Or, <laughs> uh, um, okay. okay, for clarification <laughs> for the podcast, uh, they both uh, shook their heads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Sometimes we're an audio medium, yeah. too. Um, <laughs> um yeah, uh, I mean, we can't make an assumption whether they're a narcissist or not, but we will say that it does have behavior that is no, it, echoes it, that. That's what I mean. For, for my disclosure, that's how it came across to me. As he comes across as quite a narcissistic person. Well, that's kind of leads into what I was going to ask previously, uh, and I'll start with TJ, but uh, and then we'll go to Daniel, um, especially with TJ's perspective as indie. Um, your creative freedom, we'll say that. Um, do you, purely in your opinion, in your experience or whatever, do you think as an indie creator, you have more creative freedom um, than, let's say, someone working for a AAA corporation, corporate overlord <laughs> type thing? Do you have the same pressures? Do you have the same oversight? Um, or do you have more of a kind of... Uh, creative, you know, well, freedom, like I said. <laughs> I mean, I think we need to define what creative freedom means in this context, right? I, I, I always think, I, I remember there's something that Bear McCreary said once, which was that I don't write my music, I write their music. Now, you know, that's just because you're working for a client, the client has, you know, even if it's a vague idea, they have an idea of how they want their game to sound and you try to create that. That doesn't mean that, like, you don't make artistic decisions and that you're not collaborating or that like you're under a whip or something. Okay. But 
this idea there i think there's sometimes an idea that like when people say creative freedom in this sort of context that you can do whatever you want and it's very much you know you're very much listening to the directors trying to do what they want and give them what they want that being said um yeah, I think in the indie space, there's certainly a lot more room for um, trying things out that are new, trying things out that are, you know, maybe a little bit more experimental in some ways, or trying things out that like, um, you know, putting a little bit more of yourself in there because there's a little bit more of this wiggle room and because like your musical track goes through maybe like two or three other people at the company that, you know, you can talk, depending on like what sort of studio it is, like um, you're talking to and you have a, a much closer relationship with versus at a AAA studio, that track can go through, you know, 10, maybe even 20 people, uh, many of which you will have no connection with or no uh, little to no interaction with at times. And so, um, at least from what I would imagine in comparison, you have a lot of creative freedom, um, but you're still very much locked to what does the game designer want? What do, you know, uh, what does everybody that is, you know, that you are making the music for want, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, Daniel, what about, you've, you've worked in, in both mediums. Do you feel that one is more, um, you know, creatively, uh, well, freedom, I keep saying it, and I'll just I'll keep saying that phrase. <laughs> I, I think... Yeah, I mean, there. Are, as as he said, like if I work for the big clients, mm -hmm. I always look at myself as a carpenter. I'm trying to create the the most perfect table for them to make it fit. You know, um, so I mean, the first two years working in this industry, you always like, oh, why don't they like my music? You know, you you kind of hate yourself for not being able to deliver what they want, but. After after the few years, you start to realize, no, 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 this is not this is not my music. I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it exactly as TJ said. I'm doing mm -hmm. it for the product. I want to help. Like we say in a movie, that music is a third character that binds mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. together. And the same thing with games. It could make or break a game. Uh, some people say, okay, the the game may not look. Uh, amazing but the music gonna keep right playing. yes uh, yes that's one aspect of it mm -hmm. and i thought oh that's that's pretty cool i didn't think about that before um so uh with triple a clients uh, it's always been they already in here in japan at least that's that's <laughs> the only thing i can speak about uh they they are incredibly prepared they have the reference material but there's sometimes gonna be a few communication errors when we talk about mm -hmm certain styles of music like the trance thing that yes, we talked about we talked about before yeah and yes. uh, they were not thinking electronic <laughs> trance we're thinking hippie music right. psychedelic music not techno um um but from there on it's always been like two, two people involved for me it's been the uh the music supervisor at the company mm -hmm. and then Sometimes with Resident Evil, I was only talking to the lead composer, Narita-san. So Narita-san was basically the lead. He was dividing up the work, and he wrote some of the stuff himself. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's as far as my communication went with them. But with the Street Fighter, it was a little bit different. I was only talking to my agent, and they were talking to the music director there. But uh, during, like I think it was like the last few months of a season or something, uh, they asked me if 
if we could speed up the working process, I got a direct link with okay. the music supervisor. Right. That doesn't really happen here because they want to <laughs> go through a chain of command all the way, right? But it actually worked, and we managed to deliver much, uh, much of the music a lot faster. Hmm. But uh, <clears throat> in Mick Gordon's case, uh, I don't know if like if when he was delivering his demo it was already stemmed it out like all the instruments separate mm -hmm. i think they only got a stereo track because that's how we would like to demo our stuff like right hey, here's a small little clip from us as a, and if they rejected it you know then i said okay i'm still working on that song mm -hmm. i'm still getting paid for but for them to keep it and then use it in game without being able to edit or mix it Mm -hmm. uh, th that's when we start to see problem with quality in the sound. And of course, Mick Gordon was not happy because he said these are just ideas; these are not finished products. Right. Um, and to have that, it's a slap in the face. Like because then you don't get to show our best sides too. So we want to deliver the best we can for the client and something we can also be happy with. And that's why now when I write a a song, I don't have like one version of the song right now i have 20 versions of the same song right because depending on when i come back the day after i say i'll save that old song but let's just keep working on another direction mm -hmm. uh, new file name new date <laughs> and i go to like where I, where i can take it but if something goofs up i just go back to the previous day and take it in a different direction so um that's the thing. Our work process is only limited by the hard drives sizes now. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but that's that's how I work. But indie game, I would say uh, most of the indie game developers, I've 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 searched for them. They have not looked for me until recently. Okay. I started to get a little bit of buzz. But when I see a game, and, and I talk to the developer, it's like, hey, your game looks really interesting. Do you mind if I can write music for it? And they say, uh, we don't have any budget for the music right now. I said, don't worry, I can help you pitch it. <laughs> and once you get a, like, a, like a, a, not a third party, but an investor or a publisher, mm -hmm. then they can fi finally funnel money into the project. And that's how I done it. Oh, say, if nice. I see something really interesting, I say, hey, I really like what I see here. Can I help Friday music for the game? Even though you don't have any money, but, you know. That's I like that. That's, that's really cool. That's how I do it these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually see a lot of parallels listening to both of you. Um, I'm, I've always worked in art and production uh, for various corporations and stuff. And actually, weirdly, the iterations and everything that you're talking about and then being under, uh, you know, like uh, what, what the client wants, their framework and everything. It's very similar. Um, and being able to relate that to that, I'm kind of getting a bigger picture here. Um, so would you say on TJ, I guess I'll, I'll start with you and then we'll, we'll throw it back to, to Daniel and pitch it back and forth. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this particular instance uh, where Stratton springs this stuff on, on Mick Gordon, um, is that a typical experience um, that you've ever kind of found yourself in? I mean, it depends. Sometimes, uh, I guess I guess the answer is sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't, it's never been as 
bad. And also, like, I have a personal relationship with most of the people that I work with. And so mm-hmm. it's never like this sort of like almost like a faceless corporation sort of right. feel. Um, right. But the uh, sometimes something doesn't work or something changes and you're working on something else and this other thing needs to be changed too and everyone's on a schedule and so that's just sort of how things work out is Mm -hmm. that you get something big sprung on you and you just sort of have to move things around and figure out how you can make the whole thing work as far as like the soundtrack in particular goes Mm -hmm. um this and this is sort of going backwards a little bit in some ways, but it, it almost feels like to me there was this feeling um, from uh, Marty that, you know, we're going to say that this is the soundtrack from Mick and not touch him and not do anything yeah. with him um, at all and completely keep him out of the situation until, you know, of course, Mick, you know, forced himself into a situation because, you know, he didn't want something with his name on it not being from him mm-hmm. which is completely understandable absolutely um, but to me the whole situation just feels like um it, it it feels weird and controlling and manipulative and just not the simple answer is just no it does not seem normal <laughs> it, it seems completely completely a mess <laughs> Yeah, um, I get that impression from uh, mostly from mixed response, but also just my experience in corporate America. (laughs) uh, It seems very strange. Um, Daniel, what about your experience? Is this, uh, you know, woo, big surprise at an E3 announcement and, you know, type of thing? Is that a normal thing (laughs) that you've ever experienced? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, as a hobby psychologist, I mean, being like not only writing music, I also do uh, like music psychology mm-hmm. and then I study normal psychology, you know. Absolutely. But yeah. how how this Martin Stratton guy is behaving, yeah, that's a pure case of narcissism and superiority <laughs> complex. He's never wrong. He's always uh, right. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, I uh, have not experienced that uh, per se or nothing that's like resulting in a personal attack on me. So for me, it's always been like maybe the closest thing I ever got to was maybe I've been writing music for a client and they they already made the game and then they have an idea what, what the music is supposed to be doing, but then they cannot define it. And and they say, hey, here's a reference track. I listen to the reference track, and I write the music similar to the reference track. And then they say, this is not what we want. Right. Like, <laughs> what? You know, <laughs> those are the moments that are most frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, so if, if that's the case, but it's always been related to music so no no personal attack whatsoever so mm-hmm. I, uh, but that's how I, how I felt like oh man what are these people why are they in charge you know yes <laughs> that's what i want to know looking at martin stratton how he ended up in the position he is having that much power but lacks one significant skill and that's communication yes 
Mm-hmm. If you're going to run a team, you need to talk to everybody, including the guys outside. Yes. And for me, it's always been like, okay, here's a steady schedule. Let's say every two weeks, let's sit and have a Skype meeting. Mm-hmm. And then that's what we did for Resident Evil, at least. Like, we, we got an update. Oh, here's a new video. Here's a new direction they want to take it. Like, that's great. Communicate. That mm-hmm. That's all I want, to be included in, into the process. But totally exclude Mick Gordon and then that announcement at E3, you know, as a composer myself, like, <laughs> damn, what, what they're setting me up for failure. Now, this is, mm-hmm. they're looking for a scapegoat and That's... he's not going to take it because of his clumsy planning, this mm-hmm. Stratton guy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I may jump off that, like, Absolutely. that that goes all the way back to the scheduling issues all the way at the beginning of the project, how... Um, you know, they started because you always have an ideal schedule at the beginning. You think you know how things are going to go and then a million things happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. But the important thing is being flexible and being able to move things around and figure out how everything's going to work. Um, and it seemed like, you know, it was very clear from day one. Uh, to make at least that, hey, this schedule we set out is not practical. It's not going to work. Um, and when he brought that up, it was absolutely shot down. And it's almost like, you know, you see the writing on the wall, you don't change anything. And then all the things that were predicted, you see happening in the rest of the, you know, 60 pages. Oh, and gosh, it yeah. it's heartbreaking to see that sort of like, look, I put this in Excel. We can't change it. It's like published. <laughs> sort of mentality <laughs> that you know happens sometimes but yes. um i forget where i was going somewhere with this and my brain went <laughs> in the other direction but That's quite all right. uh, absolutely right the schedule is was written in stone yeah and there's no amount of tippics to change that like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah that, right. that was the stupidest thing i've ever read yeah like, it's an excel but yeah it's it's a domino effect when it doesn't line up yeah okay. it's crazy well, then a I hypothetical think... situation on this one is what happens when they delayed the game? What happens to that all-encompassing all schedule when they d- decided to, <laughs> to delay? Yeah, I mean, they did delay it, yeah. More and more games nowadays are getting delayed, and of course it's not yeah. the fault of you know the people that are working at the bottom, and in a lot of ways oh, it's gosh. not the fault of the people at the top either, because if you've built you know, several games, you probably do have some idea of like Mm -hmm. how long it's going to take and what is going to happen. But games just keep getting more and more complex to build and to create as the technology, you know, we can do more things, doing more things is hard. And, um, you know, it means delays. It means that your best intentions aren't going to always see their way through. And, um, I don't know. I like, and it even happens with them too, but I always appreciate, uh, even though it can be excruciating sometimes to be sitting here being like, when is the next Zelda game coming out? They haven't (laughs) said anything in years. Like, at least, like, there's a feeling that, hey, um, they're not putting a fine point on it, and they're giving their developers a little bit of time Mm -hmm. to breathe because of that. Uh, Even if there's, like, an internal date, which I don't know the internal workings of Nintendo, but... um, (laughs) Are you sure? No. Do you know something we don't? <laughs> Let me pull out my crystal ball and uh, contact Miyamoto. Uh, I mean, just from an outsider's perspective, that's it seems to be that Nintendo don't tend to usually announce release dates until they're 100% certain that the game is going to come out on that day. There's been a few exceptions, though. Just, 
I, I think that's good. Personally, we, we've actually talked about that. That was a theme on one of our shows um, about how games are now being delayed more and more. But we're a very dev friendly uh, podcast. So we say give the devs all the time they need. <laughs> to give everyone the time. I hate it's. It's the I like the corporate crunch time. Yeah, and for me to see Mick Gordon experience that, uh, yeah, it, it was ridiculous how much he put himself under just for twelve songs. Yes. I mean, that's what I imagined. Like, well, two months, uh, two songs per month—that's no problem. And then suddenly there are fifty-nine tracks oh. and the thing. Yeah. Like, hey, that's unpaid work. Yeah, uh, like, and, and he yeah. should be compensated for that. For sure, and, yeah, absolutely. And the, con- and the contract itself for the OST wasn't signed until the 18th of March, so two days before the game was actually released. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also find it interesting. Uh, again, I don't know how normal this is, but uh, Stratton trying to get uh, Mick Gordon to sign a gag order, or NDA, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, which, to me, as an outside observer, says that Stratton knew he was wrong. <laughs> He was wrong, 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 and didn't want uh, Mick Gordon going to the press, um, yeah. which I do respect Mick for for sitting on this, waiting till he had all of his facts, all of his data. And I personally think, now I would like to get you guys' opinion on this, I think he's had a lawyer help him draft this, so he's kind of... Covering yeah. all his... Uh, I'll weigh in very, very briefly on this one first. Uh, there is no way in heck that he has released this statement without legal counsel first. I, I really get the impression. It feels like all of his... What is it? that All of his T's are crossed and his I's are dotted, or however that phrase goes. Yeah, dotted the I's um, across the T's. Yeah, all that. Because <laughs> it's very thorough. It's very well-researched. It has... All that we say receipts, you know, and, yeah. and everything like that. Also, um, uh, just as a, a note of point, it's the table of context that makes it feel like it is a legal document as well. <laughs> to be fair, that is what made me go, hmm. <laughs> I think he's run this by a lawyer. Um, but what do you guys think? Um, we'll start with TJ and then we'll move to Daniel. Um, where do you think they go from here? the future holds well i mean right now things are being tried in the court of public opinion right yes. and so i think the next thing to watch for is whatever reaction we do get from bethesda and id and potentially even microsoft now that you know it's yeah. the big old umbrella mm-hmm. um but i think like as far as like the nitty-gritty i think the best thing that could happen is that at the very least there is a public showing of like um you know and this is best case scenario do i think Mm -hmm. that this will happen honestly probably not but i'm a little cynical uh but um best case scenario he's at least paid for the work that he did uh and there is some sort of public recognition i don't think and again, I am very cynical, but I've been watching, you know, how everything's been going in the video game industry for yeah. the last couple of years. Um, I don't think anyone's getting fired. I don't think like. Oh, no. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Responsibility. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, hopefully at the very least he's paid for his work. But um, more likely 
there will be some sort of very corporately clean statement in the next couple of days that we're going to see. And um, that might be it. As far as on his end, I mean, it is very clear. I mean, one thing that I noticed very uh, solidly is that if you look at all of his screenshots, there are no I think there might be one. Uh, no, that was a contract even. So there are no screenshots of other people's emails, only his emails. And even right. those are very carefully like, mm-hmm. you know, blocked out in sort of cases. Um, and so honestly, it's possible that there might be a legal challenge on his end in order to get this taken down um, or, you know, because I think like his point of doing this is to sort of like, you know, hit the beehive with a baseball bat in a way and get things yeah. moving. Mm. And so, you know, we'll have to sort of hang tight and see what happens from that perspective. But, um, yeah, best case scenario, he gets paid. Worst case well, it's not like his reputation's going down. His reputation seems to only be going up at the moment yeah. because of the article. And so, Thank goodness. Yeah, yeah, I, it's been really redemptive for him. And so, um, I don't know. I think we're going to see a lot more of Mick Gordon's music in big games in the future. It's just going to be, you know, all these things are a couple of years out yeah. because games take forever to make. Yes, they yeah. do. And to uh, be fair, it's is... actually starting to make a bit more sense why he was recently associated with that more indie focus project uh, that I announced, I think, at an Xbox showcase. Well, see, that's okay. Now, this is my personal opinion, and I, I want to hear uh, from Daniel, of course. Uh, I am hoping, I put a lot of faith, I probably shouldn't, but I put a lot of faith in Phil Spencer. So I'm hoping that he'll catch wind of this and just do something to make it right. Um, I know, like, the whole Activision thing isn't going so great, responsibility and accountability, but maybe this one will. <laughs> um, but that's me being very optimistic. Uh, but, Daniel, what do you think? Where do they go from here? What What do you think? Oh, well, of <laughs> course, just like TJ here, I, I hope the Mick gets everything he's uh-huh. is rightfully needs for the twice the amount of music that has been made for the game without the consent of Mick, which is uh, unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, he must be compensated. That's mm-hmm. what I see first of all, if this doesn't come through. Uh, but of course, I don't like to, like no one should even think about scapegoating anyone because yes. we know where the problem really lies. And that's a planning stage. <sighs> and uh, written down in stone but yeah f- f- for me i'm all i mean uh, tj as well we're very flexible when it comes to mm-hmm. clients requests and i think if we have good good working like principles you know we're gonna get work mm-hmm. and mick is no exception i'm sure he's gonna get a lots of more work and through all this, I mean, you know, my kerfuffle that happened a few months. Yes. Like I suddenly got contacted by the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja versus uh, what was it called, uh, Justice League. Yeah. And you were like, how did that happen? I did not expect that. So even so through bad pu- publicity, mm-hmm. there's actually something good that might happen th- through all that, right? Mm-hmm. But of course, it's yeah. most important to know the two sides of the story. And for yes. me, it just comes down to one individual, or actually two. Uh, I mean, sure, Stratum put him under working on this called official soundtrack for six months before yeah. Mick got involved with Chad. And to see how they cannibalized 
mm-hmm. mixed tracks and how badly edited they were. And I even checked out the tracks that were in like, oh, li- listen to track 24. Like, yeah, that's that's an awful editing things are happening. So obviously this editor knows nothing about music or how to count to four uh, or, or whatever to make anything sound. And it's not re- presented in a way that's musical. Yeah. If that makes any sense to say that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if it was me, I would say, yes, like, Mick, like, Doom is a great-looking game. Doom Eternal is awesome. Uh, So I did not exit the game. I just exited Toxic Client. I love that line. I love that line. The line is, I never quit Doom. I quit a Toxic Client. I love that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, for me, it's the same thing. There are games that I really love write music for but maybe i did not have the best mm-hmm. client but the, the end result is for me the goal mm-hmm. uh, but yeah for mick i wish him all the best for the future because he has a great working ethic i love yeah. the way he designs new sounds for yeah. the music uh but these other two guys i wouldn't even recognize them from a can <laughs> of paint if i saw them <laughs> so for me uh, those two guys ha- have lost every amount of respect, especially when it comes to yeah, putting your name as a co-composer, but you didn't write a single note. In the right. Song. Yeah. That is so disrespectful. As Mick said, he should have another title like a music editor or yeah. some kind of like audio technical term rather than a co-producer. Co-composer. Co-composer. Yeah. Um, so. Let, let's see what happened. But with, if I see Stratton's name in my email, you know, hard pass. Gosh, yes. That's all I can say. Oh, gosh, yes. No, uh, no contract first. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And contract yeah. first. Mm-hmm. Pete, do you want to add anything? Because I have a question that is outside of this theme, but I really want to hear from them. But you, you go f- first. I have one slightly loaded question, let's be honest. <laughs> so there was one part of the statement for me from um, from Mick itself that felt more like conjecture than actual factual statements, because most of this felt very factual, matter of fact, yeah. these are the events, this is what happened. Now, he con- the conjecture was more about whether or not the as Fallout 76 Collector's Edition caused a bit of a problem when it came to the Collector's Edition for Doom Eternal and this weird timescale that they were working on. Now, do you really believe those claims, or do you... like? I, I mean, we all know how bad the Fallout 76 Collector's Edition really was. <laughs> now, do you really feel like Marty should have been taking this stance of taking everything himself and doing it all for the sake of Bethesda and not you know, trying to save face on the fact on that one, or do you feel like this part should have been omitted from the statement because it's it's not legally factual, let's say? I don't remember that. Mm. I think I might... I might be misremembering, um, okay. and it's a really long I statement. Mean, admittedly, I might be misremembering oh. as well. Uh, let's see. Um, the following anniversary was five months away. Delaying the game was the right call. At the time, it was not polished nor optimized, and Bethesda didn't want a repeat of Fallout 76. Is that the line that you're mm. talking about? Oh, it might have been. I read that as the collector's edition, not Fallout 76 as ah, a whole right. product itself. Right. 
because that was also a really messy release. Not as messy as like cyberpunk, but oh gosh, um, (laughs) still very messy. Yes, it was very. Um, In fact, let me let me read this the the full paragraph and then that'll give you your thoughts on it. Suddenly, just six six weeks away from the release date, which is insane, Doom Eternal got delayed into the following year. The new release date, March twentieth, twenty twenty, was five months away. Delaying the game was the right call. At the time, it was not polished nor optimized, and Bethesda didn't want a repeat of Fallout 76. So it's talking about the delay um, and not wanting it to, to mirror the awfulness that was Fallout 76. <laughs> yeah. Also, I saw the collector's edition, you know, the, the things that... No, no, I saw the influencer edition that they gave to the, like, Instagram yeah. people. Oh, gosh. That was awful. It was not ready. Okay. So, so yeah, like the facts of the details might have been slightly different, but yeah, it does still, for me, it did still sort of feel like there was more conjecture than more actual based in factual evidence there. And it was the only disappointing part for me in terms of the statement itself, just to be fair and balanced, of course. But I, I do feel like the the vast majority of what Mick said was all backed by evidence, and it was it was a very clean, a very decent, re- decently written statement that should have just it just refuted nearly everything that was posted down, and it was it was clearly meant as a you slandered me on Reddit, so therefore I need to clear my name, even though I shouldn't have to. My work should be able to do justice for that alone. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, that there is a linked article to that statement, which is, we finally know why Doom Eternal was delayed. Um, and it has the line, recently Bethesda's Pete Hines, who we've talked about frequently on this show, uh, offered some more insight into the delay, seeing it was inspired by the negative response to Fallout 76. Uh, um, so, that, yeah, fine. Not conjecture, then. Not quite conjecture, but I do feel like now again, outside observer, that maybe they were using Fallout 76's negative reception as an excuse. Highly possible to yeah. delay the game, uh, type thing. I I I have to agree. I think it was the right call. I mean, I did the review of Doom Eternal. I loved playing the game. I absolutely loved it. I don't think I would have loved it five months earlier, <laughs> if I'm being honest. You know. It would have been buggy, which, okay, I'm a Bethesda fangirl, and I know that bugs come with Bethesda. <laughs> and, um, but it, but it's not synonymous with it, though, is it? Not really. It's usually very, very uh, high quality, or, you know, back in the past, they're known for their higher quality things. That's why all of this is actually quite a surprise, because it's such a, it's a long-standing corporation, uh, publisher, developer, it's gone through so many different iterations <laughs> You know, and it's kind of reflecting what what Daniel said. This should have been a, well, it should have been a slam dunk. It should have been, it, it it they've been in the game for so long. How did they drop the ball so badly? Um, you know, is it, the whole crux of this. You know, and I think it does come down to one person's need for control. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. But I'm going to let you guys say anything more you want to say, and then I'm going to ask you a really weird question. (laughs) (laughs) But it's about your industry, so it's not that weird. (laughs) uh, Should we make that the last question then after that? 
There's a, uh, well, we've got some final chat bits I was going to say, do, we've got some chat yeah, questions. Yeah, I was just going to say that's, that your last weird question will be the final yeah. question. Then. But, TJ, do you have any last words you want to say towards this uh, fiasco? <laughs> Uh-oh, you're muted. Nope. There you go. Uh-oh. No, well, sound's gone. Sound's gone! <laughs> Okay, maybe I can oh. fill in me while he's okay. trying yeah. to yeah. figure that yeah, one yeah. out. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, so, yeah, um, as you said, like, I, I wish everything good for Mick. I mean, as I said, his working, uh, like, his quality of work is so good. Mm -hmm. And, of course, since he'd been working with Xbox earlier together with Killer Instinct, yeah. you know, I think he has, a, like, a really good relation with those people. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I and I, I like that he's taking the indie game route too. I mean, and that's the thing. A, a lot of game companies these days in Japan, like most, like Square Enix or uh, or Konami, they don't really have any sections divided for music. Only sound integration right now, or sound design. Uh, so a lot of composers have been working at these companies. Decided let let's go freelance. It's 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 the only way to be able to do. Uh, music now these days because what's the point of having a music division inside a company and they're still hiring outside right. <laughs> workforce just to write the music you know what's the yeah. point really um so and yeah i mean i i do find the indie games seem to be a lot more artistic their mm -hmm. new visions and i'm glad that mick is also exploring more incredible worlds that he can do with sound as well mm -hmm. so in my my book, Mick, if you come to Japan, let's hang out and uh, <laughs> have a good time, yeah? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, can we can we hear TJ? Oh, no, we still can't oh. hear you. Why? What happened? Um, uh, okay, well, well, I guess I'll say my final thoughts on this piece as well yeah. in that respect. Um, yeah, this was quite a ride, actually, like reading this. This was... Uh, putting everything together for this episode was a really interesting one. Then, obviously, I have to obviously thank Daniel and TJ for giving us a lot of the insight in terms of the, you know, the background of this. It's quite incredible, really, like how everything seems to have fallen apart. But yeah, I'm definitely mirroring the sentiments of Daniel here. You know, I I really hope that Mick still gets a lot of work within this. You know, his. Like, like you said, with 2013's Killer Instinct, that was the first time I'd had some real exposure to Mick as a, as, as a game composer. And I wasn't particularly that fond of the game, but the music always stood out to me. And, you know, so... And then you just hear the soundtracks for Doom, uh, for Doom and then any a few other projects that he's done since then. And he has a very unique sound, like... And I think it's that unique sound that I want to hear more of in the future. So and I really, really hope so. Uh, it's yeah. just. Oh, I think we're starting to hear TJ. We are starting to. Oh. I think. Yeah. Ah, Yay. Can you hear me again? Yeah. 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 You're back. Just, so we can. I had to hard restart my mic. Oh, oh wow. Well, okay. Geez, I know how that goes. But yeah. Just to finish the point I, I was making there. Nothing. So it's just. I really hope he gets more work. I want him to see more of his work, whether it be in indie development, AAA development. I really hope that this situation hasn't put him off of AAA music comp composition and, pr and production, because obviously this can have a pretty damning effect on someone like in terms of their job history. And I really hope that as a result of some, what appears to be some very um, 
flagrant lies, let's say, <laughs> to put it lightly, from Marty Stratton's side, let's hope he hasn't been blacklisted as a result of it. Well, I I I think he's actually getting better uh, exposure. That's the word. <laughs> mm. Um, because of this, but that's personal opinion as an outsider. I have no idea. Of course. Type thing. But, um, TJ, do you want to say any, uh, final thoughts on this, uh, experience? I mean, I think my general takeaway from the whole thing is it's another part of this trend that we've been seeing for the past couple of years of there's a lot of just people in the video game industry that are mistreating other people. And oh, it's always terrible to see because our industry brings uh, so many people so much joy. And yet sometimes it feels like, you know, the people that are creating that joy don't always have that for themselves. And so, uh, um, yes. like, my one of the things that my company is trying to do is to try to, like, spread awareness about that. I mean, I'm obviously a straight white man. Um, but you know, my lead developer is a person of color and a woman and our lead artist is a woman. And like we, when we go to events, you know, we are, there are some of the only women there most of the time. And so we're trying to spread awareness to try to get, you know, more varied voices in. And so Mm -hmm. hopefully over time, these people at the top don't end up being these people that abuse things as much. And hopefully, you know, we get more diversity and we're able to push some of these people that have been causing a lot of these troubles recently out of the way slowly less, but surely less bobby kotick <laughs> yes oh, agreed. definitely yeah. need a lot less of him so. yeah I, mm-hmm. I yeah a less toxic working environment mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's what they all should strive for Yes. I mean, creative creativity thrives in non-toxic environments, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, okay, so, Pete, do you want to ask the questions from chat as it still pertains to this? Okay, yeah. Uh, so, um, there's a couple of comments, and I think there's one question in there that I need to answering. So, uh, Nana put, um, it seems like Bethesda began cutting costs and lack communication, <laughs> which I... <laughs> which I am shocked at how many companies just fail at give people time and pay them properly. I 100% agree with that statement. 100% Mm -hmm. agree. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, He also weighed in and said, I know Dragon Quest XI had a small controversy over how bad the music sounded in the (laughs) game. Uh, Apparently because the composer didn't want to give over the masters, I think, he said. (laughs) interesting might have to read up on that one they yeah the soundtrack between dragon quest 11 and dragon quest 11 s were like two different games i think oh wow so it's wild um so we had uh i'm just gonna pronounce this incorrectly i apologize eik deer i think it is or lek deer <laughs> uh how how much say do you get in the final version if you deliver something they really like in the pre-production but they continue developing the character in a way that makes you want to rework your main <laughs> themes do you have that freedom that's a very good question great question let's start with tj and then go to daniel um it really depends on the project um sometimes like you especially when you're working a lot in tandem you'll write something like a theme for example towards the beginning of the project that eventually will just need to be reworked as the character goes in a different direction and you and the developer will sort of have this moment where you're like this doesn't quite fit anymore and in those cases like absolutely but also at the end of the day what the developer wants and what their vision is is the king and so 
um, while there is a certain amount of like your ability to change things, uh, once something is locked, if the developer likes it, that's what it's sort of going to be. Um, and that's, that's just how it is a lot of the time on these projects. Um, now sometimes you might be able to be like, Hey, I really think that it might be better if this, but when you're facing <coughs> deadlines and everything else, um, you know, you don't always have time to go back and, um, fix that, especially if it's a very, very core rudimentary element that then will bleed into every single track of the game. Um, it, it, it can be really, really difficult. Um, but yeah, it, it depends on the project at the end of the day. Absolutely. Ben, yeah. your, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, depending on like a AAA client, they already like, um, in my case, I always listen to the music supervisor and we just says, this is okay. I don't need to worry about it. Um, so there's no need for me to go back. Uh, but now working with the indie game fallen city brawl like a classic belt runner beat em up game and since i'm in charge of the music there uh, we had a set for maybe at the end of november but now i don't know i think the game has been postponed i think my uh the developer it's only one guy remember this is oh, yes, only one yes, guy yes. doing the game do it um, I think he's pushing the deadline a little bit further. That gives me more chance to go back to my old work and clean up and maybe change some stuff here and there. Uh, even thought I'm already getting paid, uh, like first a sum in the beginning of the project and then the rest. I mean, we, we make all kinds of different deals for this one, but, uh, but for me, I want to deliver the best music that I can. And if I have, um, like, opportunity to go back and change stuff i'm not going to charge extra it's because this is on me i want to help mm -hmm. deliver a good project for this yeah. game uh yeah exactly so uh for me i would say right now on the indie game side of i have i can do whatever i want but in the triple a not so much oh yes that's how it always is <laughs> totally fair. um okay so my think piece for today <laughs> for these two um so i i that you've definitely heard of the kind of new controversy i guess in the art world which is ai generated art and as you know they've started doing ai generated voice actors um which is insane <laughs> did i hear that See, rightly it was james l jones that they're doing that with going with vader going forward uh, yeah, because he's he's dropped out. He's yeah. done. He's doing doing more Vader, um, but but now they're they're actually cultivating completely new voices through AI. Um, I guess we'll start. Uh, I want to hear from both of you, hundred um, percent. Daniel, what do you think? Is do you see AI uh, music and sound design as as a possible threat in the future? Okay, now what is an AI? Something <laughs> that we have to teach, right? Yes, that's and right. I mean we can teach the AI to count to four, <laughs> but for it to make creative decisions, uh, I I mean there was a weird thing. Just a few weeks ago, I um, I got approached by an AI music company on Twitter. I said, hey, check out this product. Oh my gosh! And they had like put up music depending on moods so they said Ugh. okay rainy city blah 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 and i was listening to this like 
No, it doesn't threaten me at all because it lacks one thing. It's a human feeling, the yeah. human factor. Mm. Uh, but if people think, hey, we can just discredit it. We don't need composers for our game anymore. But in the end, it's going to be the music will not, if it's not managed, it will not sound good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there's still a place for a composer to clean up some of these things. But I think it's, yeah, I, I don't think AI in music will, will be anything that worries me that much. If people think that's a cheap way to get away from it, then the right. product's going to suffer as a result in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. How about you, TJ? Yeah, I want to know what you think. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much feel the same way. I mean, the, the, the thing about uh, AI music is that there are some radio stations you can find online that play like only hardcore metal that has been produced by an AI. And the thing is, is that it's pretty believable. Like you can sit down and you can listen to it and it's like this. Yeah, no, like this does sound like actual music. But I think to me, the kicker is that like one of the things I, I know I've said everything that I've said about like, you know, creative control and all that sort of stuff. But like one of the thing, things about the process that allows, you know, everything to flourish is collaboration. And it's the ability oh, yes. to like be able to bounce different ideas off of people and really like, you know, rub that collective brain cell versus just, you know, sort of being in an echo chamber with yourself. And so one of my big concerns with like AI generated music is that if you only have like the the programmer who may have musical knowledge, may not have musical knowledge, sitting and trying to choose which tracks are going to be right for the game, it's going to be very, very hit or miss where like mm -hmm. some things may work, but might not work that well. Other things might work great, but then other things are just not going to work at all. And so, you know, echoing what uh, Daniel said, the product is going to suffer. And um, at the end of the day, I don't even think that that's necessarily AI's fault. Like it's not oh, right. the AI, it's the people that control the AI and the people that direct the AI, right? Because it's always like, um, it's that whole chain of command and like, it could be an interesting tool, but <laughs> um, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think, even as a tool, I don't really see uh, it being used in that way in a way that is ever going to be as effective. But um, who knows? The future is yeah. a lot weirder than we always expect. Oh, and maybe we'll see in sure. 50 years, you know, a game completely made with an AI composer. But that's different issues and different... <laughs> I mean, have you seen some of the AI-generated memes that go around? Oh. They're hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Well, here's what I've noticed, because, you know, obviously I've got a foot in the art world, um, and I see uh, Nan is in, in the chat kind yeah, of talking about it, too, because he's, he's awesome um, is where, as far as art is concerned, if the person putting the commands into the AI thing is an artist themselves, then they use it as a base, and then they clean it up, rework it, and it becomes something. If they're not an artist... The creation comes out with like seven fingers. <laughs> they don't know how to fix it. So, yeah, I kind of see it doing that with music as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the there was something you just said there that uh, I just realized. Oh, oh man, now I forgot what it was. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. Um, like. Person yes. Program. Okay. Here's the thing. So, I mean. 
a, a visual based AI is drawing from from mm -hmm. pictures and learning how to do that process all the time. But teaching AI sound, especially music, I think voices, it has done really well mm -hmm. uh, to replicate. And now we have these kind of um, like uh, audio markers that we can talk normally and suddenly Ian McKellen comes out. <laughs> yes. Like, um, <laughs> right. And and I've seen like the guys at the what is it called the, the one of the best YouTube sites Corridor Crew have been using this kind of voice uh, altercation software, but music uh, I think is a completely different beast because sure you can, as I said you can learn a thing to count to four as he said it, it can learn a music style and all that stuff, mm -hmm. but the creation of originality it still has to draw from. Uh, pre-existing materials so the right. question is how that's original true. will it be at the mm -hmm. end and that's where we come in yeah at least that's Absolutely. where i see it. if it's yeah. a tool yeah that's yeah true. and and oh sorry no you go go right ahead uh i was just gonna say that like one thing that's interesting about originality too is that like how much of what we do is original right we're all using like right. we know what sad music sounds like for example yes. right and we can take the different themes and the different ideas and the style and combine that into something that sounds right for that cinematic moment right but we have this understanding behind like why if i use this and i'm using pattern very loosely here but if i use like a musical pattern or an idea in this way it's going to get this this response we know why that is and we know how to tweak that to make it more so to make that less like we know there's a lot of nuance there that an ai an ai just sees the pattern right, right? and it doesn't really know everything that goes on behind it sort of like how in art like an ai might be able to identify like oh this is um you know, this is this drawing technique or this yeah. painting technique, but it won't necessarily understand why it's being used and how that heightens the expression, how to really use that to like make something super emotional. It just sees, oh, it's a pattern. Right. That's uh, actually a very, very good point. I was going to say, that's quite interesting because actually Eli has actually come in and stated that it says, I feel like an AI has the potential to generate dozens to hundreds of ideas that could be given to a composer to properly flesh out. Yeah, I guess seeing it as a tool, um, as opposed to the final product, uh, you know, possibly. Um, but I mean, but then you got to think like, okay, talking about themes and different styles and things like that. Like uh, Bear McCrary has his own style. Jeremy Souls has his style. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then you've got all you know the different composing styles. I don't. Those styles. <laughs> sounds maybe cheesy but those styles come from lived experience they come from yep. emotions and i don't think ai can recreate that even oh god i hit my mic again <laughs> i can recreate that even in uh you know and not just music but uh even in art i think it lacks that human element you know mm. and again that's maybe just my cheesy creative side but i really see that a lot in ai generated anything it feels empty, you know, uh, and things like that. Because they don't know the markers. Oh, minor chords makes humans feel this, <laughs> mm. you know, <laughs> type yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so, Pete, do you want to add anything else before we wrap up the show? 
well, I'll finish up with this final comment from Nana. He said, like with everything else this year, there will be a boom and then it will go away fast. Yeah, I definitely, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. <laughs> NFTs, you know, let's just say it. NFTs are gone now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you see? Did you guys see? I'm sure you did. That they tried to do that with sound as well. Sound clips. Yes. They tried to, yes. <laughs> I I know many people that had uh, sound stolen and put onto sound NFT sites, <sighs> and they had to go and um you know put a DMCA on yeah. the sites in order to get it taken down. Um and you know I know many artists that were in the same situation with visual art too. I mean it's. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, this is a higher <laughs> other wormhole that I could go in for so long. But, uh, okay, well, we, we now know the next topic we're getting you on for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can talk all about musical NFTs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean that's a crazy thing. The the the, the place I'm working right now, uh, their entire thing is trying to get into the NFT market and metaverse. Yeah. And I like. Wait, you don't really have <laughs> like what are we supposed to be doing now again? Are we yeah. are we really writing music for Ex NFTs? Like Exactly. I I don't get the business model. Like no. give me an artist and let me produce the artist. That that's all I care about, right? Yep. Yeah. NFTs, I couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah. I think the only people who care about NFTs are the people who don't understand NFTs. <laughs> like right. you see a lot of uh, game companies. I think it's Capcom is the latest one to jump on i believe it's capcom pete you have to correct me if i'm wrong um mm. but started they're selling nfts of their games yeah hi <laughs> okay, why well, if that's uh, come out in the last couple of days i haven't seen that oh yeah you should look into it pete okay. <laughs> maybe uh, they'll buy you one <laughs> never oh uh, no, no i will not be taking that board rio at any time oh gosh <laughs> if, if anything, I think NFTs are just going to be like, you know, the uh, like like those 1980s exercise leggings of, you know, the the, the 2020s of like people are going to look Hi, back masters. and they're going to be like NFTs. What are you? A thousand? Come on. Mm. There will be a dinosaur remembering uh, about NFTs. That's so 2020s. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, I can sell my fingerprint for a few million dollars and you'll have access to my bank account. Oh my gosh. Oh, you're going to give somebody an idea uh, out there. And oh, let's not I'm keep so going sorry. down this rabbit hole, shall we? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I copyright I, the C minor mode. Okay, well, that's my NFT. <laughs> go. yeah. Oh no, I got to go get D minor. <laughs> <laughs> See, but that's it. That is how they all they, they egg each other on. And uh, that was funny, though. I will say this, and then I really will wrap it up. But, like, the guy that bought uh, a screenshot, because that's what it is, of Jack Dorsey's tweet, and he, and he bought it for, like, I don't know, $25 million. I'm just throwing that out there. It could be $2 million. I don't know. And he ended up having to sell it for, like, $10. Oh, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> uh, anyway, let me just get this last comment before we wrap off. It said, uh, Eli came in and said, what I think is scary about the AI is that the ones we've seen are only the first generation. Yeah, that's like when deepfakes came out. And that first time they came out, I was like, uh, you can still tell it's kind of fake. And then now it's like, um... 
is this a deep fake or is this real? I don't know. Yeah, the you lines know. have been blurred between deep fake and actual nude leaking. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, that's that's not that's not. Ah, <laughs> oh, that is the future. Um, but yes, uh, I want to thank our guest so much for joining us. This has been a wonderful episode. A uh, very deep dive into the kind of behind the scenes. Uh, and I hope that our um, listeners and our watchers got to see just how important. I mean, we know music's important. We know it's important. Um, but I don't think we realize just how important and how much goes into it. Um, I definitely didn't know myself. Um, but I do. I want to thank uh, TJ. I'm going to call his wrong last name. So I'm going to look at my notes. <laughs> TJ Martin. <laughs> It's only because we had a joke in the beginning, and my poor brain remembers joke names, not real names. <laughs> so. No, no, it's fine. Uh, I mean, my handle is TJ Mills, and it's confusing. Okay, good. Glad to know it's not just me. Um, but anyway, TJ Martin has joined us again. For, he's a composer and sound designer uh, from uh, for Boba Studios. Uh, TJ, where can they find you and Boba Studios out there in the interwebs? <laughs> Well, for me, I am at the moment on Twitter. We'll see how long that lasts. Probably as long as the, you know, frame. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see. But you can find me at uh, TJMills45 on Twitter. You can find Boba Studios at Boba Studios on Twitter. You can also find them at BobaStudios.com, where you can download a demo of our game, Squirrely Roo Rabbit. It's a 2.5D puzzle adventure game uh, with a mechanic featuring color theory and also... Uh, some really uh, delightful things. Uh, I'll be right back. But if uh, Daniel, if you want to, you know, <laughs> yes. I'll be right back. Okay. Let us know. like a commercial break. All right. Here he is again. Welcome back, sir. Yeah. I have. This is our character, oh, the amazing. little plush. That's so cute. Oh my god. She's so good. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay. Pikachu and some other copyright infringement there. <laughs> oh, that was adorable for our uh, yeah, our cute. audio listeners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come check it out. Yeah. Um, also, that's really cool. It sounds like it's up my alley because it's about color theory. Um, I'm, I'm a graphic designer, so I'm like, oh. <laughs> you should download the demo and check I it think out. I need to. Yeah. And we have a new one coming out in just a couple months. Nice. Excellent. Very good. Nice. Awesome. Um, Daniel, what about you? Where can they find you and all of your lovely, lovely works? Oh uh, well, uh, as usual, you can find me on Twitter. That's the easiest way <laughs> at dropkickmonk three y dropkickmonkey. Um, I have a, a YouTube channel, but uh, I just <laughs> posted like I don't really know if it's worth it anymore because even if I write my own music and post on YouTube, I somehow get copyright claim for yeah. my own stuff <laughs> that, so, that has been happening point? a lot that, mm-hmm. that's that's really crazy so i cannot really yeah. recommend it so just find me on twitter i would have a company website if my company would have a website so that's <laughs> out of the order as well so just go with the twitter drop kick <laughs> okay. three y yes okay. oh um, that's just brilliant. say no Everything will be linked in the show notes, including the links to the uh, the Reddit post, the rebuttal by Mick, and obviously the links for uh, Daniel and TJ and Boba Studios. 
Excellent. Pete, where can they find you and all your mini podcasts? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, so long as it's still around, at Pete Beckett1, <laughs> which is spelled B-E-C-K-E-T-T and the number one. No, I'm not making the jump to Mastodon yet. Um, I know. We'll see. We'll wait and see on that um, But you can also follow me on the uh, Never Watchers uh, podcast, where we talk Marvel Cinematic Universe. We should be recording one this week, where we're covering Spider-Man No Way Home. Excellent, um, Kylie. What about yourself? Um, I am uh, going down with the ship, <laughs> so I too am over on Twitter on the deck of the Titanic. Uh, and it's at Kylie to greet Kylie Y T H G R E E T. But as a backup, I'm also on Instagram at Kylie Yellick, which is K I L E Y E L I K. Uh, but to be fair, that's less video games, more gym. So cause it's Instagram. What else you can post, you know, gym sure. and food. That's it. <laughs> but uh, I think that is going to do it for us. Thank you so much to our listeners and our watchers for joining us this week. Uh, you have been wonderful in chat. We hope to see you next. Oh, well, that actually was my tagline. I walked on my own tagline. Piece. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I'm kidding. But we will see you and talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please check us out on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media at Rapid Reviews UK or the podcast-specific Twitter at our Radio Pod. Please follow us on Twitch at Rapid Reviews. The music is made by Johnny Atmer. Please check out Gametal on YouTube. And for everything else, please visit www.rapidreviewsuk for all the latest reviews. 